0: Hi, it's Mickey Dolans here. You're listening to Inspirado Projecto.
1: December sixth, 4:46 p.m. I'm on the subway. Luckily, Lawrence August sent me a video on how to do the Kundalini breathe, breathe of breath of fire which warms you up, uh, it's a little chilly out there. I'm going to this event tonight, it's free. It's on, um, let's see, what we got here? Olympic Boulevard, 3000 Olympic Boulevard, building number five. It's called the Lampata, L-A-M-P-A-T-A, I believe. And uh, my, my buddy, Jimmy Lee Wise, who I know from back in Columbia College, he told me about this. And it's a networking industry type of thing. I'm bringing a whole bunch of Yachtly for business cards. And I probably ought to write my name on it. And uh, i should probably write my name on a few of these. That's probably what I'll do on the subway while I'm here. says Damon Lindoff is going to be there. And he's the guy who, he uh, was one of the writers on Lost. He also, his show uh, is The Leftovers. If you get a chance to check that out, I think it went for three seasons. Phenomenal TV show. A mind bender. A mind bender. So, He created those. Word on the street is he's putting together a Watchman from the comic book, a Watchman TV show. So we'll see how close to the comic he he stays. Um, it would be phenomenal. Phenomenal. If it was uh, if the character designs look just like the comic I would have liked to have seen the Watchmen movie be a trilogy just so they could have gotten all the other cool stuff in there. However, i got to say there are so many details, it's packed so much that it really does, it really would work better I think as a Amazon or Netflix kind of, kind of thing. So that'll be cool. So he, apparently he's going to be there. I'm not certain who uh, the other names are. The next stop is
2: Island
3: Station.
1: It is cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. It's also raining. So, we'll see who decides to show up, who doesn't. You know that whoever does show up, those are the true warriors. Those are the warriors. And those are the people you want to work with anyway, the warriors. Uh, oh my gosh, who was it that I talked to? I talked to someone before about, uh, oh, interesting, I just now saw some graffiti on this bus here, it says Clown, or Clowica, no, no, oh, I thought it said Clown, but it's K-L-O-W-I-C-A, and Lofty, that's another one, Mouse, there's another one, Mouse, Interesting. Well, they made their mark in the world. S-E-T-R-I? Someone I once talked to before in the past. They basically said... Uh, Some of the effect of if you stick around you'll start to kind of know not everybody but you'll get to know more and more and more people you just stick around just show up just stick around it doesn't really even have to take effort I mean yeah there's effort in getting out of the house effort in as much as putting on your shoes putting on a some clean clothes brushing your teeth bringing some gum with you who knows what putting some deodorant on maybe even some shoes and socks that kind of effort not the kind of effort where it's like grindstone it's heavy work it's a pain like to like you know get this thing done the effort simply is in going out and just showing up And after a while, those who just keep showing up end up seeing each other around more and more and more. They, they they start recognizing one another. They start working with each other before you know it. They form their tribe. And wonderful things start happening. Uh, within the past... I would say... Five days or so, I have gotten offers. I'll just use that for the lack of a better word right now. Um, propositions, invitations, invitations to be a part of various projects. There are one, two, Well, I'd like to say three, but three encompasses a lot. Yeah. Oh, okay. One. Two. Three. Yeah, three. And then, well, and then, of course, the, the movies, that whatever movies I do with Ryan McGonagall. Good news is these guys are all good vibes, they're all they're all just good people. So the reason why I bring that up is the more, <clears throat> the more I find myself, and this is something I think for, for anyone who's, who's utilizing this similar method, those who I've talked with in the past, when I find myself creating my own things without permission without explanation there's a great power in that this is one of the huge reasons why I encourage anybody and everybody who's listening to this right now and to those who I talk to to make a podcast make a podcast just do it it doesn't have to be some special subject you know, it doesn't take much to make your own podcast. Just sit on your couch and just uh, ramble on and on about your favorite subjects. Maybe you like sports. Maybe you like drawing. Maybe you like painting. Maybe uh, you're a huge fan of building sandcastles, surfing, you know, whatever it is. Whatever that is, chances are you have an... Ex- okay, you, you you either have an, uh, um, uh, an expertise or an exploration that others would love to hear about and or others can relate to. In which case it becomes a beacon. So it's both a beacon and an inspiration. The inspiration comes from planting the seed in those people's minds. In those unknown phantoms who who listen to your podcast. You never know. Someone out there is listening. Whether they listen for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, the full hour... Ten minutes. There's a good chance that the way that the uh, the Extraordinary Universe works, the piece that that person heard was a piece that they were supposed to hear. So, you can... Let's say, you, let's say, let's go the route of, uh, let's, okay, so let's say, for instance, there's a podcast. Let's say you're a farmer. Let's say you're a farmer out in Wisconsin, and uh, you grow fields of corn, and you think, well, who, who would ever want to hear a podcast about me talking about growing corn? Well, I could tell you I'd be interested. I don't know what it's like to grow corn. I don't know what it's like to get out there on a plow on the tractor every day and you know there's certain seasons you gotta plant the stuff certain seasons you gotta take that corn certain ingredients you put in there to help make that corn really awesome so there you go Give offer people that opportunity of hearing hearing the intricacies of that this is why anybody I mean why why are reality shows so so intriguing to people because they're showing ordinary people doing what they think are ordinary things but they're actually extraordinary because they're giving us a, a window into their life of what they do and what they do day to day what they're doing moment to moment we may see something in the that that excites us and we go off and we decide to let's say they're they're all of a sudden someone on the reality show they pick up painting and you know they don't know, they don't know the first thing about painting, but they pick up some colors and they just start splashing it on a canvas. Well, there you go. Now that takes away every excuse that you might have had yourself about painting. Well, I don't know what to do about, about painting. Well, now here's an example where you look at this example and you see someone doing it, and then you go, "Okay, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to try that too." Now, let's look at the aspect of. Uh, Let's say, okay, same person. They don't know anything about painting, they start painting. Now, that excites other painters now who are watching that going, oh my gosh, what they're doing right there, that totally reminds me of me. I don't know what direction I'm going in. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going there. Wherever there is, I'm going. You know the funny thing is, the there is actually the here, because having that faith in allowing allowing it to unfold is really what continues to carry along your your steps, your journey in, into the next discoveries. Now, of course, the discoveries cannot come about unless you're exploring that's, that's the the whole paradox of the situation. You will not discover anything unless you are exploring, unless you are seeking, unless you are uncovering. So, I I ask any of you, yes, even you, even you who are listening right now, you particularly, start a podcast. Chances are you've got ideas, you've got lots and lots of ideas. Maybe you've written them down in books. Maybe you've got short stories, poems, and you think, ah, who'd want to hear that? Who'd want to listen to that? Who'd want to see that? You don't know. Now, if if you worry about an audience listening to what you're doing, then here's a trick. Here's the trick. Make it for you make a decision within yourself to make the art you want to see in the world and make amends with yourself that uh, I would say this set out to make the sloppiest um, podcast you can imagine and stand by it when you work from that and you get critiques and you get you know who knows what that's just icing on the cake, isn't it? You just keep going, you just keep going. I'm trying to have the thing finely polished and perfectly edited and it works for some people. I'm sure there are some who do that and it, and it does not inhibit them whatsoever from creating what they want to create. I can tell you though, perfectionism breeds lots and lots of hesitation. Breeds lots and lots of overanalyzation. Breeds lots and lots of over-critiquing. And the train really does not get moving. It's a slow moving train. Slow moving train. You gotta be willing to break break the eggs to make the omelet. You gotta be willing to break the china in, in the shop. Be the bull in the china shop. Experiment with it. Say, you know what? This is going to be my art form where I completely experiment in a way that I never have before. And let's do it. Let's try it. There's this idea in the back of a lot of our brains that we want to have this street cred, that we want to be this uh, um, uh, well-hailed genius. Well, think of one genius that inspires you. And go read. Read. Their biography or autobiography. Um, go go listen to when they were messy, on the chalkboard. I can guarantee you that uh, Jimi Hendrix was not born with a guitar in his hand. I could tell you Albert Einstein was not born <laughs> with a with a piece of chalk and a in a um, in a chalkboard coming out of the womb. So. It's worth it. Plus, it's an archive for your future self. It's there. there. Let's say you got grandchildren. Those grandchildren are gonna grow up and they're gonna wanna know what their grandpa or what their grandma did. I would be so ecstatic if my dad goes, oh Kurt, by the way, Here's a bunch of here's a bunch of uh, audio recordings that your grandpa did. I would love to hear that. I would love to hear that. So utilize this. I'm if you're listening to this right now, I'm using I'm using an app called Anchor. Chances are you'll hear my my little promo for it somewhere within this podcast you can consider this an extended version of that promo it's fun man let your studio be the world you don't have to confine it to your desk or some fancy studio let the world be your studio let the ambience of life filter its way through Something charming about that. Just something cool about that. Won't that be neat to listen back and go, oh my gosh, that was so cool? I forgot, forgot we talked about that. So, give yourself that opportunity. I dare you. I have officially arrived. Uh, There are uh, sparkly silver girls riding on roller skates. There is a table filled with desserts and cookies. There is a bar with wines and, and other tinctures. There are these interesting Christmas trees. There's a preview being played on the screen called Beneath the Surface. I don't know if that's a... I don't know if that's a this TV show or a movie. Uh, there's someone being interviewed in front of a in front of a screen. There's a, a photo booth kind of thing happening over there. Uh, there's a tall person with sparkly glow things on them, juggling. There's a girl hanging from a swing. She's got like sparkly lights on her. It's, there's a blue hue in here there are slow moving sort of spotlights going back and forth there are st- uh, stair- little staircases going up there are uh, four alien looking folks in silver suits with Elvis glasses singing Christmas carols like right out in front It's really quite interesting here. Thank you, Jamie Lee, for inviting me to be a part of this. Absolutely. It's uh, my pleasure. I'm glad you could make it out tonight to the light I'm so glad that you single handedly uh, organized this. No, no, that's (laughs) not how
2: it works. Uh, Is this live?
1: You did a great job with the uh, the production design on this, man. Uh, I appreciate that. No, it's this is recorded. We got two minutes. This this is uh, this is quite incredible. There's a Jenga table down there. Uh, We got uh, glowing glowing objects. Hi, are you enjoying your stay so far? We just got here.
3: I am enjoying the stay. It's getting better every minute.
1: Oh, (laughs) Oh yeah. I think and then I think it'll amplify once we uh, once we add some cocktails to the mix, possibly. Some food for sure. Yeah.
3: I like your style. Yeah.
1: There's some desserts down there that look delicious. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we will uh, we will we'll conclude this later on.
2: Hello there. It is Maria from Strong Body Strong Soul, and I have to tell you the truth. I have come over to your show to listen recently. And the Anchor app wouldn't let me. It kept spinning. So I'm so excited that I can get on here right now and listen to you just a little bit. I'm being kind of funny today. It's Wacky Wednesday. And I really shouldn't be making this phone call. But I can't help myself. (laughs) One of the things that happens out here is uh, sometimes I'm talking about my son. Sometimes I'm talking about my son. He's in karate. He's a black belt. His dream, every kid's dream, right, is to be called Master. Master Humphrey is when he gets his black belt. But he has a friend, and his friend's name is Jason Bates. What are they going to call Jason when he becomes a black belt? Are they going to announce it? Are they going to call him... Can I interview you, ladies? I mean... Uh, I yes. think what, no, you don't want to interview Rachel, you give me. Rachel, you can be an alias. you can be
1: an alias. No. Okay.
3: What do you want to interview me for?
1: What you do you want to? I think what's interesting is that most of these people are here for the industry type stuff. You have nothing to do with that. So what I'm curious about is what are your thoughts about being like in the midst of all these kind of folks who are involved with and television? I haven't that. really
3: met anybody here, so I don't really know. Oh, are you recording me right now? <laughs>
1: How
0: long have you been in healthcare?
3: I've actually been in healthcare for about 10 years. I got my Master's in Public Health at USC, and I've been doing quality improvement in healthcare for the past, like, I want to say seven years. I was working at the LA County Department of Public Health for a while as an epidemiologist. Do you know what that
1: is? Is that where you put people to sleep?
3: of
1: like a hypnotist? <laughs> Anesthiolo- Wait, did you say an theologist or something? Wait, oh, what'd no, you no, say? No.
3: it's an epidemiologist. No, what is
1: that? That sounds very
2: important.
3: Um, so epidemiologists basically research epidemics and disease outbreaks. So whenever there's like a measles outbreak or like an Ebola outbreak, you find out who patient zero is and you find out where it came from and how it's being transmitted, whether it's a virus or it's a bacteria. So I was out for a while i used to work wait did
1: you just say patient 0 patient 0 so like that's like the that that's the first domino that starts the whole thing right is that like the person exactly who-
3: the first person that gets infected and then starts transmitting it to the rest of the world
1: so, so you you've learned you you with your expertise you figured out how to Follow the rabbit right. hole to the source.
3: Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but about like five or six years ago, there was a huge measles outbreak that yeah. um, that happened in Disneyland. Yeah. So I was a part of that whole incident command system. Whoa. And we were trying to figure out where it happened, how it happened. So we basically found patient zero. Oh my but God. It, but it took us months. So you have to like investigate. You have to be a detective. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you have to look for to figure out where this actually came from. Um, so we figured out who Vision Zero was, and we figured out that it started in Disneyland, and then a bunch of children got infected in Disneyland. So this happened like five or six years ago.
1: What did you do once you found? Uh, I mean, was it a kid? Was it a was it an adult? It was a child. It
3: was a child. Um, so please, please, vaccinate your children the public health society, I mean, everybody depends on the fact that, you know, you guys are taking care of yourselves and you guys are being immunized against diseases. Otherwise, you're putting other people at risk. So, I'm a really big proponent for immunizations. I know a lot of people are against them, but they help protect society and public health. So
1: What happened when you found that... Uh, I mean, that must have been crazy, like, to get to the bottom of it. I mean, that must have been nuts. You
3: have to quarantine people. You have to tell them that they can't leave their house. You have to quarantine them and give them restrictions as to where they can go and where they're allowed to, like, expose themselves. So, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. But as a public health department, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to do that to people, especially when the, the health of the society, of the public health is at risk. So, what,
1: did, what did you do once you found the root of that cause? I mean, what was the next step? I mean, once
3: you quarantine a patient, I mean, something like measles is something that you can overcome. You just have to, like, sweat through it for a couple of weeks. But we really, really encourage everybody who made contact with that patient to get immunized as soon as possible. If they weren't already exhibiting symptoms, they had a chance that like they would be okay but we wanted everybody to get
1: immunized so oh my god that i gotta say that's completely miraculous that out of all those people you are somehow able to trickle it down the tree to the root of where it started yeah. that is fascinating to me
3: have you ever seen contagion the movie contagion? no but I,
1: I saw the trailer where they had to like were they sort of like zombie creatures or something? No, not, not zombies,
3: but... <laughs> so there was an epidemic, a disease that broke out in that movie. And um, there's a lot of famous actors in that movie, and they were epidemiologists, and they had to figure out where this disease is coming from. Nearly the entire population of the United States got wiped out, so everybody was dying left and right. Big families over there, whatever
0: you have.
1: That's the organizer is the organizer. Kick ass, that's Best great. Wow, the man behind the curtain right there. That's cool. going to be podcast. <laughs> that's incredible. So, do you watch? Okay, so having that background, did they either require you to see movies like that or were you just naturally drawn to see movies like that?
3: I'm naturally drawn to it. I love it. And honestly, I love biology. I love health. I love healthcare. That's why I am in healthcare. I work at a very like small scale, small level of it now because I'm teaching doctors how to deliver better quality of care to their to their patients. But um, when you look at the grand scheme of things, we all need to be in this together. We all need to protect ourselves. We need to protect other people. We need to make sure we're getting immunized. We need to make sure we're going for a physical appointment. We need to make sure that we're not over-utilizing healthcare either. So don't go to the ER just because you need your refill, like your prescriptions refilled, you know? That's not the right usage of the emergency room in a hospital. You have to go to your primary care doctor. So please, please utilize your primary care doctors. Go to urgent care. Do not go to the ER unless it's truly, truly an emergency because it costs a lot of money. That's why people complain about their premiums. That's why healthcare is so expensive. People are overutilizing. The system though, it's very confusing, it's very convoluted, and I don't blame people. It's, it's confusing for me, too. Yeah. You know, I don't know when I should go to urgent care versus my primary care doctor, so and my premiums are have increased every year, you know, so I'm not happy about that.
1: But so, so by working in this industry, have you come up with ideas on how to either simplify things or make you know make things less convoluted?
3: a lot of things in the pipeline right now. We're moving towards a value-based environment, which means that we want to reimburse doctors based on the quality of care that they're delivering and not the amount of care that they're delivering. So, it's going to take a long time to move the needle on that, but I think we're on the right track.
1: Okay. This is a hypothetical question, but do they ever talk about what would happen if there was a zombie outbreak and how to Quarantining that?
3: I think the public health department has a really good system in place for those kinds of situations. Whether it's zombie, whether it's Ebola, whether it's measles, whatever it is, we have an ICS set in place where we can take control of that situation as quickly as possible, figure out where it's coming from, and try to, you know, quarantine it as soon as possible. So you're in good hands.
1: So, for instance, with the measles, with that measles outbreak, I mean, I just can't believe that I heard about this on the news and now I'm meeting someone directly involved with, with trying to, you know, like the Sherlock Holmes of trying to find out who right. started it. After that step of finding that person, how long did you keep them? I'm imagining like E.T., like with the hazmat suits and all that.
3: We just kept them at home. No E.T. situation. Nothing like that.
1: Oh, you know these folks?
3: Oh, I know these folks
1: We're about to get photos anyway, so I'll talk to you more. I'll talk to you more in a little bit. That was crazy.
0: Oh, oh, oh. So you remember, Tom, when I told you I, I spent a month in North Hollywood when I first got in the town? Yeah. At Kirk's
1: house? This is at Kirk. Kirk said down the radio show. I went to Columbia College with him. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He directed me in some plays and stuff. So you guys used oh, to work together at radio We worked together
0: at ICM, International Creative Management, which is now ICM Partners. Um, and uh, yes, we worked together. What,
1: what do you like to do the most? What are your favorite hobbies?
0: Watching movies. Um, taking care of my children. Uh, road trips. Uh, reading. Who are some of your favorite authors? Ooh, that's uh, um, James Joyce, uh, Samuel Beckett. Oh, so uh, you like uh, the l- classics. L- l- the Irish. Uh, yes. Um... A novelist out of uh, Minnesota called Terry Persons, uh, who is a crime novelist that I think is very, very good.
1: Oh, cool. Do you, do you read a lot of crime novels? I do, yeah. well, um, uh, Do you like uh, some of the old, uh, older guys, like Raymond, Raymond uh, Chandler? Chandler,
0: yes. Uh, some of the old um, L.A. Uh,
1: authors, you know, back in the day. Uh, Yeah, anything crime. Who are some of the L.A. authors? Just so I can kind of wrap my brain up. Because I like to read mystery novels once in a while. Jeez, good question. We actually know one who just recently... uh, Who? Well, he's he's not an L.A. author, but he is in L.A., but uh, his name is Scott Burnside, and he just recently wrote a novel, and it was so good. He self-published it. It was so good. Um, Do you read... I read this huge book of Sherlock Holmes... Huge, like it was like all his stories. Do you like Sherlock Holmes? I do. I um, grew up on Sherlock
0: Holmes. Um, uh, Guy Ritchie, the uh, director, has now re, um, rebranded the Sherlock Holmes. Um, oh, oh, that's right, that's right. The movies. That's and right. I found them really enjoyable. Yeah. And, um, very entertaining and uh, very well
1: done. Yes. Now, when you read these mystery novels, I know when I read this uh, Sherlock Holmes, it really, what it did was, it did uh, an education on my brain in terms of, I, I, I felt like I could see more than I normally saw before. Did yeah. you, do you feel that same way when you read mystery novels? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Like you could see beyond what's just there? Well,
0: the great thing about a novel is that uh, that doesn't translate to film is that you've got four five hundred pages in a novel um, that sh- tells you every single detail obviously that's not possible when it's made into a movie because it can only be a 120 pages and that's what dis- the um, really loyal readers of um, you know, the Harry Potter movies, the, um, the uh, you know, any werewolf movie is, you just can't, you can't, you can't take a 500-page novel and turn it into a 120 pages script. So, people are going to be disappointed, the purists, I say. Oh, yeah. Um... But there's no other way around it. You've, you've got to make a two-hour movie and... There are um, choices that have to be made. What, yeah. what are you going to focus on, right? And things have to be cut. And and not everybody will will like that. But um, that's the movie business. The The alternative is who is going to sit through a four-hour movie? If you wanted the, the, the booked
1: version, nobody's going to do that. You know, so... Um, it's a double-edged sword, yes. When you just said werewolf, it spawned an idea in my brain. Werewolf detective, I've never seen that before. Werewolf detective, maybe a guy, every time he becomes a werewolf, he's able to solve the crimes. But in the process, there's a lot of messiness involved, if you know what I mean, he's, he's eating people. <laughs> werewolf detective. Now, um, for instance, have you, have you ever read the, the graphic novel, Watchmen? Uh, no, I'm familiar with the movie.
0: Um, it got made Warner Brothers made it into a movie right
1: Watchmen. yeah and uh, Damon Lindoff the guy who does uh, Leftovers and uh, and he, uh, he worked on Lost he's going to kind of to go along with what you're saying he's going to spread out The Watchmen that graphic novel because there's so many little details in there into sort of like a mini series you know like a 12 12- you know, like maybe on Netflix or something like that. I was—I've been reading about.
0: Hold on, did he do Cloverfield? He didn't do. He? Oh, that's uh, that's J. J. Abrams. That's J.J. Abrams. Well, that's Abrams, yeah. But but the guy that directed um, it's uh, this Ten Cloverfield Lane and there's Cloverfield. Oh um, yeah. Does yeah. he work in association with
1: Abrams? Does it? It seems like he would. It seems like those guys would be, you know, because Abrams is really good at at. Oh, uh, J.J., yeah. Yeah, yeah. J B Abrams is really good at that, and uh, so is Damien Lindoff at, at planting those little seeds in there.
0: I wonder's that Damien Lindoff. You'd have to Google Damien
1: Lindoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would not surprise me if you worked with J.J. Abrams. Now, are you uh, do you write screenplays? Do you write I do. books? I do screenplays. Yes. What what um what are some of your favorite genres? Do you have you written any mystery? Uh, I wrote um.
0: First of all, when I set out to write, I wanted to cover all the genres, except for comedy, because I think that comedy is such a specialized field that it would be out of my realm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm more of a thriller, psychological thriller, drama uh, type of a uh, writer. Uh, I wrote a film... Our first take on on the genre was a serial killer genre that we met two fledgling producers back in the day, walked in, pitched them the idea, they loved it, wrote up the script. Those producers today are the biggest producers in Hollywood. Wow! Uh, So you brought them together and they they, continued working together? They were together, no, they were already together. It was I walked into the room and pitched them an idea for a movie. That's great. Um, the two producers was David Heyman, Harry Potter, Neil Moritz, Fast and Furious.
1: Yeah. Holy mo and you got those guys to work together?
0: No. Oh, oh, oh. They were already together. Um, oh, got- oh gotcha. I just pitched them a movie idea and they says, can you go away and write it? We did. Um, it was incredibly well received. Wait, uh, wait. So I, I can actually go out. And I can see this. I can see. It. Is this on? Uh, no, available the, anywhere. The, the movie didn't get made, but the script recently was number one on the blacklist, uh, which is uh, a very uh, predominant uh, site to host your uh, scripts.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. Yes. So, you, so. Throughout these years of screenwriting and stuff, um, like, are there what 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 thing have you have you put? Uh, are there things out there that people can see?
0: No, God, I wish. Um, getting a movie from the page to the screen is very difficult. Um, I've had products sold at Warner Bros., Sony, uh, Universal. Uh, back in the day But what they do They they can shelve them And they don't get made But the good thing is I got paid And um, But the film's never got made
1: one th- You know One thing I've heard about Is there, there are all of these Movies and pilot episodes And a phenomenal screenplays That are just In that nebulous area Of just being shelved And it's like I, I can't help but wonder what are the motivations behind the not letting those be seen.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a turnover in executives at the major studios. Um, I think it's um, volume. Uh, I think it's trends. We go through trends where or familiarity where. You know, are are these projects familiar to what we've seen before, even though they've been so well-written? Has somebody beaten you to the punch? Do we need to see this type of movie again? Again, even though it's so well-written and it's been purchased by the studio, um, you know, uh, there's only so many premises to go around, and unless it's so well done, uh, then they'll go yay or nay. Uh, There's a producer called um, Jason Bloom at Bloom House oh, oh, yeah. uh, that he's on the payroll at Universal. Uh, Jason will go out and make movies literally on $5 million budget. He's done Get Out. He's done Paranormal Activity. Oh, wow. He'll, he'll make movies... He'll finish them, he'll show them to the top brass at Universal, and what comes into play is P&A. It's a, the a, a, a print and marketing. And Universal, will execs and brass will sit in a screening room, watch the movie, and then go, it's a yay or nay. Are we gonna spend 20 million pro, um, promoting this movie? And there's a show of hands up or hands
1: down. And that's how his movies live or die. Wow. You know, it's so crazy, because kind of to go along with what you were saying, you know, they're looking at this going, well, do we need to see this kind of thing again? But we see that happening all the time, you know? We see that happening all the time, where there are movies that are similar to other movies, you know? Well, I agree, but the
0: introduction of Netflix, Amazon, you know, especially Amazon Prime, Um, all of the streaming networks, they have such a um, a subscriber list, let's say, that they need content. So, you know, it's like throwing um, chewing gum at a board, you know, whatever sticks, whatever the viewer tunes in, They've got the finished product, they'll put it out there because they can. Netflix has the ability to just put everything out there that will pique your attention. And it can be obscure, but if it finds an audience, hey, everybody's happy, Now yeah. we
1: Now real quick, oh yeah, I'm gonna get a drink too. Real fast, what is your full name and also what are places that people can find you when the time comes where you got stuff out there? Wow. Uh, <laughs> Do you have an Instagram? Do you have a website? Uh,
0: have Instagram. Um, uh, full name Dolan D O L A N Sharp S H A R P E. Have an Instagram account. Dolan dot sixty three is my Instagram
1: account. Fantastic! Well, thank you for talking with me, and let's go get another cocktail before it's uh finished. Kurt, thank you so much. Yeah, right. thank you for talking. Uh, We are back. We were interrupted in the uh, during the uh, during the interview here with everybody's favorite uh, human red carpet. Now, okay. Now, can you please tell everybody what is your what's your name?
4: My name is Anya. Hello, everybody.
1: And how did you? Well, first of all, how did you hear about this whole thing?
4: Uh, I'm a professional performer, so I got hired by an entertainment company to come and entertain people. Do whatever I do best. That's why I woke up today.
1: That's great. So what? <laughs> what? Uh, what are some of uh, some interesting things that you've done in the past?
4: Uh, I do dance. We do aerial acrobatics in the air. Uh, I have my own little company where I create costumes and perform. We do choreographies, different costumes, um, different things for entertainment.
1: What? What's? It? Do you have um? Do you have a, like a special name for your company?
4: Yeah, it's uh, couture. Uh, It's spelled differently because, um, I don't know, so it's like K-U-T-E-U-R.
1: And is that your Instagram as well?
4: Yeah, it's my Instagram, and uh, my partner and I, we just create different costumes, different looks, and different entertainment companies hire us for their gigs.
1: So for this one, did they tell you what they were looking for or did you uh, just kind of invent what you're going to do for this?
4: Yes, usually, entertain uh, a company contacts you and they say, "Hey, we have a, a winter wonderland theme. What can you offer?" So we send different pictures, we, you know, different like uh, things we could do, and then uh, from there on, they choose according to our talents, according to the f- pictures. They say, "Okay, do um, like red carpet girl, and then greet people in the LED costume, and then do an aerial act." And every time we change costumes for that, so...
1: That's so. That must be so much fun.
4: Different wigs, different makeup looks.
1: Did you grow up doing uh, theater and uh, um, uh, performing a lot? Dance. Oh, dance, yes. mostly.
4: Folkloric dance. Uh, I'm from Ukraine originally, so I grew up learning uh, classical ballet and uh, Ukrainian folk dance.
1: So, um, how long did it take for you... To make the red carpet costume, because that was pretty long. How how long would you? Well, first of all, let me ask you how long it took for you to to create.
4: Um, it took me about like one week. Uh, I just uh, went and I bought the fabric. I you know used the sewing machine to like sew it straight, and uh, I purchased the dress. And you put the looks together. You put it together, and that's how it is.
1: Oh, so you actually sewed. The red, car- the, the red the uh, carpet onto the dress itself.
4: Um, No, it's deattachable. There's like little clips so I can use and wear the dress somewhere else. Like I wore it for my birthday party. Oh, that's party. fantastic. Yeah, so I can reuse it. Why not?
1: That was, you know, and when I walked... Oh, yeah, go on. And
4: it's more easy to like step in and out of it. You know, you just step out and then somebody helps you to roll up the, the back, the tail.
1: I love that because when I first walked in, it seemed like... You were like a living, like something that would be in a Salvador Dali painting where uh, just the way that your dress. Because I saw you standing there and then I, I looked down and I see your dress. It just kept going and going and going. And it was the coolest thing ever. It's
4: a red carpet girl. Hollywood glam.
1: Just a brilliant idea. And then later on you were doing aerial stuff.
4: Yes. Um, I- with my partner. With my partner. We have a duet where we do different things like on silks, on the hoop, on the hammock
1: um that was fascinating by the way how long did it take for you to train to do, to to do the aerial stuff because it takes a lot of balance i'm thinking
4: uh, it actually requires a lot of upper body strength like doing pull-ups and um, cardio and just strength we were sore for like maybe uh, one year actually wow. this is already five years that we're doing this and you know, we're not doing advanced things like in Cirque du Soleil but we're we're trying we're like Cirque du Soleil wannabe.
1: Incredible. <laughs> now high, how high have you gotten? What's the highest you've ever gotten?
4: Like three floors up. Whoa. Yeah. But um, today it's just like what, one story. Not not a big deal.
1: Were you scared of heights before you started doing this?
4: No, I was not.
1: So it was easy for you to go that high, no I, problem.
4: I actually wanna go skydiving so
1: that's a, probably a very good preparation for that, huh?
4: Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, if you're afraid of heights, you shouldn't be doing aerial. That's my...
1: Oh, my gosh. Now, do you... Where do you... Do you have... I'm just imagining, like, in your apartment, do you have, like, a crash mat and you're hanging from the ceiling, or do you go to a special location? How does that work?
4: Yes, we go to a special locations so where they have um, a person uh, watching you. We have a teacher, uh, instructor... And um, we have mats where we practice our moves and then once we feel confident enough to perform, uh, we perform it. And we drill it. We do those moves hundred times.
1: Oh my gosh.
4: In order to perfect it so your body already is uh, perfect for it. You're not afraid when a lot of wa- people are watching you or, you know, something happens. Sometimes music stops or, um, I don't know, your, your hands get sweaty or something like that. You're confident in your moves.
1: I mean, it seems to me like gymnastics, you're doing gymnastics, but just floating in the sky. Does it feel like you're doing gymnastics of some sort?
4: Um, It feels like more that we are doing dance up in the air. So
1: dancing. That's a good way of describing it. dance up in the air, yeah.
4: With some forms of acrobatics.
1: Wow. So have you you been influenced, have you been inspired by Cirque du Soleil and stuff like that to... Want to get up there in the sky?
4: Yes, of course. They are, you know, one of the best. So we love. But there are a lot of people all over the world who do this type of things. So it's cool.
1: Wow. What would be your dream? um, What would be your dream? Like the main. Like if you, you know, if a genie pops up, uh, you know, out of the ground and and just like grants you like the main like craziest wish. What do you think that would be?
4: Uh, maybe performing on like America's Got Talent, or coming up with an uh, act where nobody else did before. You know, because there's everything was already done. You wanna surprise the audience somehow. So I'm thinking something maybe a, like a danger act, even like shooting an archery or something like up oh, in the air, that's things cool. like
1: that. That's cool. Yeah,
4: because there are people already doing archery, like on handstands, like hand balancing, amazing things. But oh my God. not up in the air. But I think because I'm not afraid to die, so I'm just thinking like I want to create some danger act with my partner.
1: Yeah. It's a great way to put it. I'm not afraid to die, so I'm just going to keep... Do you, do you find that each performance you keep stretching it further and further?
4: Yes. Uh, we grow and evolve each year. We come up with new things, new costumes.
1: Wow. Oh, are you waving for your, fr- for yeah. your friend?
4: For my blonde partner. <laughs> she's
1: here. Is that her? Yeah. It's good. I can interview her too while she's here. When did you when did you meet your uh, your partner?
4: Uh, many years ago, we know each other for ten years. Even though we look eighteen.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good. Hi, I'm Kurt. Hi. I'm interviewing her on my podcast about what, what you do up there. Can I ask you a couple questions? Of
5: course. Feel and, free. and what's your name? My name is Ksenia.
1: And uh, okay, so she was telling me that she's not afraid to die, so she she wants to keep pushing, pushing it to the limit, like of all the crazy stuff she's doing. You have um, to.
5: Otherwise it's boring, like, you kind of have to be on the edge each time and you don't know, are you gonna do the right thing, are you gonna be off, but you're still holding on, like, you know that, okay, I'm still holding on, I'm trained, I'm doing it with mind, but sometimes things happen, so... But it's in, in every other profession, right? Things can happen, things can happen, right? So, we're just taking a risk, but we're still training because we have to train. We're still doing our push ups and pull ups to make sure that we're strong enough. And we really enjoy it. That's the most important thing that we really love and we're really fortunate to do it. Other people sit, sit by the desk nine to five and they're just in the boring situation, not us. And we get to do this. This is the best treat ever.
1: And it's very inspiring.
4: Plus there's always, there's always a party at my work.
1: Oh, that, Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I can imagine that you get into um, a certain zone when you're, when you're up there, right?
5: I do. She does. not she sees it like if somebody wore a cool shoes and she's like, oh, did you see that lady? She's like in the third row on the left side and she's wearing like those cool shoes. So she, she gets to see it. I'm more in the zone. I like to think of the show more. So I guess it's it, depending on the personality. Some people approach it one way and some people approach it another way.
1: But I'm getting that the commonality between you two is that um, you are so un, how should I put it, so unafraid and unanalytical of what you're doing. In other words, you're just really having so much more fun with the playfulness that that's what really makes it work well, huh?
4: It's it's well thought out, practiced, like we just don't go for it and improvise.
5: But in the actuality, it's a lot of practice. It's hours of practice. Ballet, aerial, stretches and everything. But we make it look easy and fun, but it's actually a
4: lot of training for them.
1: Every day you're doing this?
4: Every day we practice. Something. You go to a ballet class, you go to aerial class, you go cardio, I go to the gym, I do different things. Wow.
1: This is incredible. You two are like Jedi. You know what I mean? You're like Jedi from Star Wars. The way that you're able to pull off this stuff, because... You're doing stuff up there that no other people would dare to do.
5: You know, I just went by and there's a nice lady who came up and she's like, Oh my God, it was so beautiful. I had to stop eating and drinking and I had to just watch you guys. It was so mesmerizing how did you do it how did you learn she she was just asking me questions how often do i do classes where can i where can i learn And she goes where where can i go take classes and be like you guys and i said well we've been doing it for a couple of years but before doing aerial we also were doing ballet for many years and that's what's giving us beautiful lines that's what sets us apart and make it look beautiful. So it's both being able to dance in the air, not just doing tricks or some kind of elements, which we love doing also, but we're just dancing in the air. We love theater, we love costuming, we love creating. We make all our costumes ourselves and we enjoy it. Like last night, we made those LEDs. We remade the LED costumes because they were so old, and we're like, we gotta remake it, so we remade it.
1: But then so she, she was telling me that you, you you have been like up three floors before.
5: We were fortunate to work in, in Globe Theater for maybe three shows. And Globe Theater is like 80 feet high.
0: Wow. You
5: are not about, you are not on 80 feet level, but there's a capacity to go 80 feet. We were maybe like a couple of, no, yeah, maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 feet, something like that.
4: And it is scary. It's more first scary time, than and then here. You, you, you practice once. First time you're scared, and then second, third time, fourth time, you become kind of immune to it. Oh
1: my gosh! I'm getting this idea that you form a relationship with the uh, with the hoop while you're up there, or or the um, you know like um or the scarf or whatever it is that you're using at that time, huh? Yeah,
5: you kind of have to blend with it and be as one. It's like if you're dancing with another person, you don't want to fight it, you want to go with them. You want to feel guided, go with the spin. You don't want to resist or push, you want to feel. Same thing here, we have to feel the hoop and we have to feel each other on the hoop.
1: Yeah, there's a cooperation happening between you and that, Um, okay, so you do these things with no nets or anything below you? That is amazing. No oh, jeez. Are we out here? Okay, ladies, what, real quick, what is your name?
5: My name is Ksenia.
1: And then what is your name again? Anya. And so she came, and can you please let everybody know what your Instagram is so they can find you or your website, anything to promote it?
4: Yeah, um, you can find us on the Instagram, and it's spelled K-U-T-E-U-R, Couture. In a circus kind of way, couture. Because we make our own costumes. We create our own costumes, so it's kind of couture, but misspelled.
1: That's so good.
4: Passion is our passion. That's why it's a couture, but in
5: a circus way.
1: Oh, that is so great. Oh, my God. It was such a pleasure to meet you, ladies. You, great job up there. Good luck. Thank you so much. Oh, my name is Kurt. Kurtz. Yes, and so your uh, Couture Instagram is now following this, and I'll I'll let my Instagram know when this episode goes up, so you can hear yourselves. All right, take care, ladies.